not too long ago, about 11 years ago or so, and it's not, it's not, uh, has not settled down at all, as, as you would understand. The world has gotten worse, but, you know, Hollywood and uh, the, um, you might say, people in general have really lost respect for God. That's a, that's a, uh, you know, what would we call a, a statement that uh, is really uh, over, overwhelmingly uh, could be emphasized. They, 11 years ago, they made an animated show about Jesus Christ depicting him as a fish out of water in New York, acting as if he didn't, you know, know what he was doing, and a normal, regular guy. And meanwhile, the father was depicted as not caring and involved in playing video games. It just shows the utter ridiculous uh, interpretation and thinking out and, and calling it humor. You know, it's sick humor. And then you remember the old God movies, you know, the movies that depicted God uh, and, and as a human being, and then, of course, uh, a couple of people who were then impacted by him. And again, it just relegated God on a human level, made him, uh, you know, brought him down into a very mundane and uh, profane uh, level. The same network that aired the earlier movie that I mentioned about uh, aired a would not air another animated. Uh, let's see, the same network that would not air another animated series that was accused of blaspheming Muhammad. So there was a different attitude toward uh, Muhammad having greater respect for him than, of course, than that of God. You know, you see the arrogance in mankind, condescending, blasphemous depictions of God and Jesus Christ. They abound, and it's indicative, brethren, of a world that's gone crazy and a great falling away, as we understand, and the saturation in our modern education and the entire world of a God-rejecting genre or uh, attitude among many people. There was a time when there was great respect people would have for God. You remember back in the 50s, those of you who may be would have been alive back then, people flocked to the movies to see the Ten Commandments. And they flocked to see Ben-Hur also had a, uh, a concept of, of God in it and uh, Jesus Christ. We know, of course, the many movies depicting uh, the passion. Some still do have somewhat of respect, but many in this world do not fear God at all. And they don't hallow God's name. You remember in the uh, outline prayer, it's we read where it says, Hallow be God's name. What does that mean? You know, when we pray God's kingdom come, we all have this zeal and heartfelt feeling about it. And we think about peace in the world tomorrow and we look forward to it. But a lot of people pray that prayer, that outline prayer, and they really don't know what in the world they're praying. We came out of the Lutheran church way back when, I was 12 years old when we stopped attending, but I remember every every service, at the end of the service, they would end with the Lord's Prayer, you know, and they would recite it, and it would be mon- it would be kind of like a repetition, Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed, and you'd hear the whole congregation uh, uh, say this prayer. 
hallowed be thy name, you know, it would be a, in a low tone, you know, kind of like a, a phony kind of respect, I guess. I don't know. It just, just sounded weird. It didn't sound normal. And that was prayer. That was what people would pray. It was not an outline for them. It was the prayer. And usually a, a, a once-in-a-while prayer outside of saying grace, you know. Praise the Lord, pass the beans, you know what I'm saying? They would say grace, but we don't say grace, you know. We ask God's blessing on, on the food. And we ask an original prayer. So a lot of people don't know how to pray. And the disciples came to Christ and they said, show us or teach us how to pray. So one of the purposes of God's feast is to rehearse why we're here and to understand why we're, what we're doing and how learning how to respect and honor God and hallow His name to fear God is one of the purposes of God's feast. We read in Deuteronomy 14 verse 23, we're to fear the Lord always. So we're learning how to do that. And God has set his feast in place so that we can continue growing and growing in our prayer life, growing in hallowing God's name. Do we fear God when we pray? What is fear? Prayer is an act of faith. Matthew, the sixth chapter, we look here at the outline prayer. Turn with me, if you will, Matthew, the sixth chapter. So we want to be sincere. We want to be full of faith. So we want to pray properly. You know, when we came into the church, we didn't know how to pray. We really didn't. And it was such a, a refreshing thing to hear people pray a, a, a real genuine prayer from the heart. Normally people would read them. And it just came across phony and just, uh, what do you, what do you, what you say, uh, not from the heart. And uh, just perfunctory, well, i got to get this out of the way. So they just would read this very flowery, pompous kind of a prayer. And after at the end of it, you know, um, which seemed would drag on forever. But in God's church, we learn and are learning how to fear God and how to pray properly. It's such a great blessing to be in God's church. What an awesome thing it is. So we read here in... Uh, chapter 6 of Matthew, verse 9. In this manner, and it doesn't say just recite this prayer, but in this manner, that is, it's after, this gives an outline of what to do. Our Father in heaven, and in the, in the old King's English, the old King James, our Father who art in heaven, you know. Well, our Father in heaven. So we, who are we praying to? And then, hallowed be God's name, be your name. And your kingdom come. But notice what's, what comes before. If this part where we say, your kingdom come, has any impact on, on us on, and on God, we need to have the first two correctly stated, right? Our Father in heaven, and hallowed be God's name. And if we're going to do God's will, which follows after your kingdom come, you see how it's ordered. We have to have the first two parts. Hallowed be God's name and our Father in heaven. So that involves the fear of God. So we're learning. We're learning by doing. 
And so when we came into the church, and back in my parents were baptized in 1965, we began learning how to pray. We began learning what this meant. You know, it's interesting when you look at the history of the ancient house of Israel. When they came out of Egypt, they never did keep, at least according to what we can read historically, they never kept the Feast of Tabernacles while they were wandering, wandering for 40 years, 40 years in the desert, that first generation. They all died in the wilderness, never having kept the Feast of Tabernacles. They uh, dwelt in tents, temporary dwelling places. Think about it. They came right up to the door of entering the promised land, but never entered. And likewise, brethren, it's possible that we could come to God's feast, but not be in the feast, not have our hearts in it, not really know why we're here truly and fully and completely, not truly learning the lesson, one of many lessons, not just uh, my lesson I'm going to bring uh, this morning, but the many lessons that we're learning. But there are some that just never, never, you know, catch the vision. One man called me one time years ago and said, uh, uh, I was a coordinator of one of the feast sites. I think it was uh, Gatlinburg or, or, or Smoky Mountain Convention Center. It was the Pigeon Forge feast site. And he says, he said, are there, are there, what, what kind of, re- I'm thinking about transferring to the feast up there, but what kind of restaurants you have up there? And I said, well, we, we have just a, the regular fare. Surely, uh, you know, you'll have a lot of, uh, places to choose from perhaps he says well who's coming to preach well, who are the guest speakers if there's no if there's none of the evangelists are coming i'll think i'll go somewhere else you know or whatever you know he was coming because of maybe a special speaker would be there and i said well as far as i know the main speaker that we have at this feast site is jesus christ He said, oh, oh, uh, <clears throat> you know, because anyone that's speaking at the Feast of, uh, of Tabernacles, they prayed, they fasted, they fear God and they're trembling and walking in the fear of God and wanting to do the best that they possibly can and ask God to use them. Anyone with God's help can hit the ball right out of the park. You know, God, you realize that God spoke through a donkey and it was a powerful message. It really got, it really got, uh, uh, Balaam, Balaam's attention. And then there was a sermon that where a word was not spoken at all, but God used a rooster. Right? A powerful rooster that brought Peter to deep, heartfelt repentance. Cock-a-doodle-doo, you know. What God can do. It's amazing. But it's, a po- it's possible, brethren, if we're not careful, that we would come to God's feast but never enter in, never really learning why we're here. So our prayer life is important. And our prayer during the feast is extremely important. And those who come to the Feast of Tabernacles and their prayer life is shallow, they're missing out. So I'm, I want to address this very issue, the issue of God's kingdom come in regard to prayer. 
So that's the title, God's Kingdom Come, and how it applies to our prayer life, the the prayer of Matthew 6. To Israel, these feasts became their feasts. They weren't God's feast. These feasts can become like like a form, like a physical activity, and they can become, you know, kind of mundane and we can make, they be like more worldly and, and not be spiritually minded as they should be. And I think for the vast majority, perhaps here, you are spiritually minded. You want this to be a spiritual feast. You are hungering and thirsting after righteousness. But for some, some few, hopefully a very few, it might be a vacation or a party where God is not the focus. So it's good to remind ourselves why we're here. It's good to remind ourselves how we got here in the first place. It's good to remind us ourselves, of course, of all the blessings that God has given us to make it possible for us to be here. So to enter God's feast, we must certainly learn to respect him and fear him and know what this means when it says hallowed be God's name the fear of God the reverence of God empowers our prayers and we must learn how to pray it's something that God teaches us so I, we were, like I mentioned we were learning we were growing in that and it's amazing what God has done to bring us all here I remember it just like it happened yesterday. You know, we were uh, we were talking to our Lutheran ministers. We gathered four of them in the house. They told us not to come back. They said you need to go somewhere else <laughs> because I I had uh, talked to uh, and I'd opened up a can of worms in the in the confirmation class where we were learning to be confirmed. In order to take the the communion in, in the Lutheran Church, and you had to memorize certain things, and one of the things you had to memorize were the Ten Commandments. And so it says, and by this time, at age 12, my dad was really into reading the literature and digging into the Word of God, and so we had proven things. We got out the encyclopedias and everything, and so by this time, you know, I was well-versed in some of this, so... Uh, I said, uh, sir, uh, you know, Mr. So-and-so, the teacher, who was very intellectual, very erudite, you know, and pedantic. And uh, he, uh, he says, yes, son, what do, you, what do you have to say? And I said, well, I, I have a question here. It says in the, in the uh, creed that we're memorizing here, it says, remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy. Listing all the commandments. Why doesn't the Lutheran Church keep the Sabbath? <laughs> well, well um, The fathers made the change. But I said, you know, only God can make something holy. Man can't make it holy. Why, why do we keep, why does the Lutheran Church recognize the authority of man over God? And the other students that were with me says, yeah, that's right. Why, why? (laughs) You know, they, they chimed in. And, you know, the fact of the matter is none of us want to be in that class. We didn't like that, you know, having to study and memorize. So that probably was more of the the approach I was taking. But at any rate, they asked us not to 
They went and complained. He went and complained to my dad, and he said, I think you all need to go somewhere else, you know, where you could be fine, where you have agreement. So we we invited the ministers over, the Lutheran ministers over, and uh, they were very nice. You know, we sat around and we talked, and my dad asked questions, and they couldn't answer. Then, then they asked my dad questions, and he answered them out of the Bible, and he said, you know, Mr. Hall, everything you're telling us is in the Bible, and it's true, but if we teach that, in the Lutheran Church, we lose our jobs. And I thought, oh, wow, what a shock. And I'm, my eyeballs at age 12, they got big. And I thought, you mean all these years they've been lying to us over because they don't want to lose their job? And not just them, but many others, and many are sincere. You know, they just don't know. God hasn't called them. So they're, they have an opportunity, and one day they'll have their mind open. But it was... Our time to have our mind open, and oh, it was such a shock. And we began to grow and understand and learn. You know, early in the history of man, there was a knowledge about God. I mean, after all, prior to Noah's flood, there was this flaming archangel or angel with a flaming sword that stood guarding the Garden of Eden. So many people understood and knew the recent history of what happened in the Garden of Eden. We see today, however, there has been an ongoing effort to suppress the knowledge of the true God, to suppress the truth down through the ages. Back in the 1800s, Darwin came up with this foolish theory of evolution. Even he doubted his own, his own theory when he came to the eyeball. Because when you get to the eyeball, it just blows the theory of evolution out of the water completely. And many other th- facts as well. But you see, you've got to downplay the facts. Don't mess with the facts. We are convinced, and because we're convinced and we believe it, and we're science, and we reject God, they just continue with that fallacy and that lie. See, they don't want to obey the truth. To admit error would mean they'd have to admit that there is a God, and if you admit that there is a God, then you admit that there is authority to back up what God says. And if there is a God, then he would have to have some sort of manual for mankind, his creation, to understand. I mean, one leads to the other. And, of course, man just simply does not want to obey and have anybody tell them what to do. The human nature is that way. It's not in man. So the evidence of in creation of a divine, supreme, all-powerful creator is all around them. And we read this in Romans, the first chapter, Romans 1, Romans, the first chapter, and beginning in verse 18, for the wrath of God is... Revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men who suppress the truth and unrighteousness. So there is a great deal of suppression going on even now. And it's going to come after God's church eventually. As you know, Satan will be turned loose. He's already active, but he'll come after the church at the end, as you know. Because that they, what may be known of God is manifest in them, for God has shown it to them. For since the creation of the world, his invisible attributes are clearly seen, being understood by things that are made, even his eternal power and Godhead, so that they are without excuse. King David said, only a fool 
says that there is no God. Boy, that's an indictment. Because all they, because they knew God, they did not glorify Him as God, nor were they thankful, but became futile in their thoughts, and their foolish hearts were darkened. Professing to be wise, they became fools, and we see evidence, uh, documented volumes of evidence of their foolishness uh, in education and all around us today. So, modern education, claiming to be wise, they're just blithering fools, aren't they? They just they think they know, but they really don't. And only if they had their eyes open to the truth. Oh, what a blessing that would be. So, what is the fear of God? And how does that relate to hallowed be God's name? Notice Deuteronomy, the fourth chapter, Deuteronomy 4. Deuteronomy 4 and verse 32. For ask now concerning the days that are past. Here is Moses reminding the children of Israel that did survive the wandering of 40 years, the second generation. Uh, they did uh, remember, many of them saw, and many of them observed the great works of God, but they were under the age of 19, so they passed the, the uh, test and the requirement that that generation, that first generation, would die in the wilderness. And so they survived. And so Moses is revi- uh, reminding them, For ask now concerning the days of past which were before you since the day that God created man on the earth, and ask from one end to heaven of heaven to the other whether any great thing like this has happened or anything like it has been heard. Did any people ever hear the voice of God speaking out of the midst of fire as you have heard and lived? And it was so awesome. The ground shook like an earthquake, thundering and lightning and billowing smoke coming out of this mountain. So Awesome was it and, and frightening that even Moses himself feared and trembled. We read that in, in, in the book of Hebrews. It's awesome, God's great power. Or did God ever try to go and take for himself a nation from the midst of another nation by trials, by signs, by wonders, by war, by the mighty hand and an outstretched arm, and by, by great terrible, oh, excuse me, terrors, terrors, according to all that the Lord your God did for you in Egypt before your eyes? To you it was shown that you might know that the Lord himself is God. There is none other besides him. Out of heaven he let you hear his voice, that he might instruct you. On earth he showed you his great great fire, and you heard his words out of the midst of fire. Because he loved your fathers, therefore he chose their descendants after them, and he brought you out of Egypt with his presence, with his mighty power. Verse 39, Therefore consider this day, and consider it in your heart, that the Lord himself is God in heaven above and on the earth beneath. There is no other. And therefore keep his commandments, his statutes, and which I command you this day, that it may go well with you and your children after you, and that you may prolong your days in the land which the Lord your God is giving you for all time. So, brethren, 
we are to remember as well. And it helps us to think about God's presence and how it has impacted each and every one of us. You know, we were, God is with you. Do you remember the many miracles that God has performed in bringing you out of this world and putting you into God's church? We were driving, finally, we in, in uh, bat, we were in, at that time, we sold our farm in Hendersonville, North Carolina. We had been down in Baton Rouge, and it was in Baton Rouge that we were attending that first Lutheran church. A lot of fine people there. They were just blinded like a lot of people are that don't know. And maybe some of them now are coming to understand. I sure hope so. And there are many Catholics and many Jews. I remember a Jewish lady told me she was baptized in the church and she was sitting in her congregation uh, where she had the synagogue and the, the rabbi got up and in his sermon he said, I want you to know that I don't believe God exists. And then he went on, and then at the conclusion, she went up and, 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 and read him the riot act. He said, how dare you promote yourself as a rabbi and a teacher and supposed to be teaching us the truth, and here you claim not even to believe in God, or the Bible for that matter. And she said, I'm out of here. And she left, and then later on found the church, became a member of God's church. It's amazing how God works. You'd be surprised what people sometimes believe or don't believe. But we were in the, by this time we had come out of the Lutheran church and we were looking for where God's church was. There were no churches in Louisiana at that time. And so my dad said, well, the closest church, well, it's got to be a church out in California where Mr. Armstrong is. So that's where we went. We packed up this big, huge furniture van and got in it and off we went. My parents went ahead of us, my brother and I, I was 12, my older brother was 16, he was driving this big bobtail van with all of our furniture in it, and my dad and my mom took the station wagon and my younger brother, and they went out ahead of us. We rendezvoused in El Paso, kept the Sabbath there, and then they went on ahead and across this stretch of area um, where a big, there was a big desert, and it was dark. My parents were ahead of us. It was dark, and we were way back. We were a half a day behind them. We were going slow. So at any rate, as it worked out, my dad had a flat tire in this desert, strong, as far as the eye could see, a stretch of highway, but it was getting dark, dusk. There was no sign for a, a, a gas station whatsoever, and he had a flat tire. My dad stopped, pulled the car over hoping there were somebody would come by, but nobody came by. He looked in the, in the station wagon. No, no, there wasn't any jack. He couldn't find the jack in that car. It actually was behind the middle seat, but we didn't know, we didn't know where it was. So we, he prayed and my mom and my younger brother, they prayed and out of nowhere, this guy pulls up, says, you need help? He says, yeah, we, 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 we don't have a jack. He says, well, I'll help you out. And he pulled in front, opened his trunk. Pulled out Jack, came, jacked the car up, undid the tire, put the spare on, tightened all the bolts, put the tire, the uh, the, the bad tire in the uh, station wagon, and and uh, my dad turned around to thank him, and he was gone, disappeared. My dad looked 
down the road, see maybe he just jumped in the car, took off. You could see maybe taillights or something, but he was gone, completely gone. Another time, my dad broke down on the San Diego freeway. Somehow, my dad needed a lot of, a lot of help. And he broke down on the uh, San, San Diego freeway, and once again, the car just stopped. He pulled over, and on the side, cars going by like a house of fire on the freeway, and he pops the trunk, uh, the, the hood, and this guy pulls up. He says, what's going on? He says, well, I, I don't know. I don't know what's going on. He said, well, let me look. And he, this stranger lifts the lid up. And he does something. My dad was squinting to see if he could see what was going on, but didn't know and couldn't see very much. But anyway, the guy slams the lid down. He says, now try starting it. So his dad cranked it. He looked down. He cranked the engine, and it started right up. Boom. And the man came back, and he says, good, you're good to go. And my dad looked on his shirt, and it said, messenger. And the guy took off, and he stopped. My dad leaned out to say thank you, and he was already gone. Wasn't there. It's amazing sometimes when you think about things that happen. There are stories that you may have experienced. Wanting to help a man at the night to be much observed in Pasadena, um, this man's battery went dead, and... Dad had a good battery in his station wagon, so as a good member would do, we, we'd offer to help him start crank his car up. So we had jumper cables in the back. We, we hooked up the jumper cables. We hooked up the jumper cables on his car right next to the, the track there on Ambassador College campus. We were parked after the night to be much observed. Dark, couldn't see very well. And we car- cranked up the engine, and, and uh, nothing happened. He couldn't shrink his, uh, you know, he couldn't start his car. So he thought, well, there's something wrong with your battery. So he took the caps off. That was back in the day when you had caps. Just after you get off the ark of the, you know, the, the Noah's ark, you know. You, <laughs> but you take the caps off the battery, and you can fill them up with water, you know. So he took the caps off the battery. This this member did. And keep in mind, not many wise men now are called, not many noble brethren. And he took out his uh, a match, and he lit the match, and he looked in the hole. Big mistake. The battery blew. Just went boom. And we thought, oh, no, what happened? And all that acid, it went everywhere. And, uh, you know, neither one of them suffered any problem it was a, it was really amazing and right nearby was a, a a faucet on the Bastard College campus way above the ground you could just see it big as life right there and turn on the uh, faucet and a lot of water came out so my dad was over there splashing water in his face and he was the other man was splashing water in his face and they were all right lesson learned and uh, what was left of the battery dad put the caps back on <laughs> he was fuming he was a little upset but he uh, didn't hold it against the gentleman. But anyway, they closed the lid, and uh, believe it or not, the car, our car started. And uh, we went on down, and the other man had to call. They, were at, they had to get some extra help to get their car going. But you see, God protected both 
members in the church. And maybe you have had experiences that way as well, where God has intervened in your life. I was talking to, or later on I was a trainee uh, helping in Santa Ana, California, and there's this widow. She had a, a VW station wagon. You know the VW station wagon was just a little bit bigger than a bug. <clears throat> and we're on the freeway. I was doing about 65. She was she was wanting to uh, me to drive her to a market. She was way up in years and needed help, so I was helping her. So I was taking her to a farmer's market, and uh, she was telling me the story how God had worked in her life. And she said, "You know, I, I, uh, you won't believe this, but you know, I've had car trouble, and uh, this car that we're riding in now it blew an engine." I said, "You really? It did? Oh, I'm so sorry." Well, what happened? She said, "Well, I had." She said, "I pulled over and I tried calling. I went to the phone booth, called somebody." And finally got the deacon. Couldn't call the minister, but I called the deacon. I said, would you come and pray for my car? So he came and he says, "Uh, I cannot anoint your car. She wanted him to anoint the car. (laughs) And and, uh, so they said a little prayer. And then he called the wrecker, got a wrecker. They came, called it to the VW place. The mechanic looked it over, and he came to the woman. He says, well, what's wrong with it? And she said, well, it, it blew, and black smoke came out. It blew, and it was just awful, and it wouldn't start after it, afterwards. And he said, well, let me see. So he got in the car, turned the key on, and the car came on, purred like a kitten. And I'm sitting there driving at 65 miles an hour, and I'm looking at her, and she and I says, is this the car that blew the engine? And she says, yes. And doesn't it run nice? <laughs> you never know. It was during our third tithe year, right at the end, that we needed a car. Times had gotten a little tough in the cabinet sales into things, and that's what my dad did for a living. He sold kitchen cabinets to the construction trades. And so at the end of the third tithe year, by this time I was, I guess, 16, 17, and uh, we were in need of a car. Uh, before then, we were bar- we had borrowed uh, Mr. Kimmer Fund's car, and Mr. Kimmer Fund worked for the college. He had this old Rambler, ancient antique of a car, and when it would rain, or it would get kind of humid outside, the horn would just suddenly start beeping, you know, go, you know. So we'd have to go out and rip the uh, wire off the horn so it quit making noises. And we went around in that old old uh, Rambler, and uh, he would walk to work and allow us to use his car. It was very kind of him, many things he would do for us. But we needed a car to go to the feast. And it was the end of the third tithe year, and my dad still was having trouble finding a job. The markets, the construction was down. So anyway, we decided that it was time to pray and really pray together as a family this time and fast. So we fasted and we prayed. I remember all of us, my younger brother, my mom and my dad, we all held hands and we prayed, asking God to make a way. And then following that, a couple of days later, after the Sabbath, Dad says, well, let's go and uh, look for cars. I said, now, wait a minute. What are we going to do that for? I mean, we don't have any money, and 
you know, how we, 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 we drove the Rambler to get there, but we didn't have any money. I thought, this is weird, this is crazy, but I said, okay, we'll go look for cars. And we went to the Ford Motor Agency, and there on the, on the showroom floor was this Galaxy 500. 500, beautiful aqua maroon, marine, uh, whatever. It was so sparkly. It was a beautiful car. And the smell of newness, you know. Well, he talked to the, he talked to the salesman, and the salesman said, well, I'll tell you what we'll do. I'll cut you a deal. I'll, I'll sell you this car for $100 over cost, what the dealer paid for it. So he goes back to do the paperwork. The dealer finds out, and he comes out, and he says, look, I nearly fired this guy. This is unbelievable. $100 over cost. I'm losing money on this car, but he's given his word, and I back, I'll back up that word since he sold you this car for $100 over cost. Dad called the bank. The bank said, take it. This is wonderful. He says, and don't worry. You don't have to make payments until March or February, February or March, and no down payment at all. So we got in the car, this brand-new, beautiful car, and it was our third tithe blessing. It's amazing. I know you must have stories as well. Recently, someone told me, it was my son, but he told me that at the end of his third tithe year, after all year-long tithing, and as God has said, and first tithe, of course, etc., the next, soon after the, the third tithe was over, in the first two months, he made everything back that he had sent in as, as his tithe. He added it up, and it was more, actually more than what he had already given in the first two months of the next year. Go figure. How does that happen? But God says that he will pour you out a blessing that you won't be able to receive. And those blessings are, are a variety of different types of blessings. could be a car. could be a, a job. My dad, by the way, after that happened... After the feast, got a brand new job with advance uh, monies coming to him in advance of making any sales. And it was a greater amount of money than he had ever made. So it was really amazing how God answered that prayer. And what a witness for me, a teenager, to see that. We all saw that. We all saw God working in our lives. It's like these TWPs we have, these Tomorrow's World presentations, where... Recently, down in uh, Mr. Anthony Stroud's area, we went down for the TWP in Dothan, Alabama. <clears throat> if you know where Dothan is, then you are a l- really sharp, because I still wonder where it's at, <laughs> and I've been there twice, you know. <laughs> but anyway, uh, <clears throat> this lady comes up after the program, and she says, we were asking, well, how did you find out about the church and the literature and whatnot? And uh, she said, well... I was in the laundry, and I just saw this magazine. It looked really good, so I thought I picked it up and read it, and the rest is history. And her husband was sitting right next to her, and she says, yep, she brought it home. And and I, I have to admit, it, it, I've never seen anything like it, and it is riveting. They can't get enough of it. They, they, more, they just want everything. Um, the many such stories such as that. I had a, a, a lady in... In Texas, call me up, and I said, "Hello, how are you?" And she says, "Fine." And how can I help you? And 
She said, well, I'd like to uh, uh, come to church. And I said, well, I guess you uh, probably heard our television program here out of Tyler. And she said, television program? You have a television program? I said, uh, yes. D- d- how did you find out about us then if you didn't hear about the, uh, on, the, on the TV? And she said, well, I was attending a Sunday school church, and I was reading the Bible, and I was just reading what the Bible said and, and preaching and te- talking about this in, in the Sunday school class. And one of the teachers said to me that I don't need to be here in this church. I need to go and, and check out Mr. Uh, Roderick C. Meredith's church. Somebody from another church encouraged her to call living. Now, go figure. How did that happen? And so she did, and she found out about the living church of God. We must remember the great works of God. And we must share those things with our children. How great God is. How great God is on a, not only on a big level, like with an entire nation of Israel, but how great God is with you individually. How God has intervened and brought you along and helped you, healed you. One of my good friends had appendicitis and it was pretty bad. And Mr. Armstrong knew the family came over and anointed him, and immediately he got better. Another case where this woman was at the Feast of Tabernacles and had a serious case of the flu. If she had it today, we would have to quarantine her, you know, obviously. But she, unfortunately, but fortunately, how, how, do, you, how do you know? You just don't know. But she came, and she started feeling really poorly. Obviously, it was a flu. No one was around to anoint her, but Mr. Armstrong was right there. And she came up to him and said, Mr. Armstrong, here at the feast, I've tried to get somebody to anoint me, but I can't find anybody. Could you help me to be anointed? And he said, I'll take care of it. And he grabbed a deacon to go with him behind the stage. They knelt down, and he prayed a very intense and profound prayer. God intervened in behalf of this woman She wants to keep your feast, and she's come all this way. In the name of Jesus Christ, heal her. And immediately, of course, laying on her hands and all, the fever left. And she was able to have a very healthy feast. I tell these stories because they're so inspiring, and I think, you know, it reminds me of the things that God has done and can do because he's not a respecter of persons, and he'll work in all of our behalf. We just have to stay with it, right? So David said, how excellent is God's name in all the earth. In Psalm 1, Psalms 103, we read, you know, bless the eternal, O my soul, and forget not all of his, don't forget any of his benefits, who forgives all of our iniquities and heals all of our diseases. We read where God is the creator of all things. And Job brings out about how great God is. How can you bind the cluster of the Pleiades and loose the bands of Orion? How powerful and how great and awesome our God is. Who is like our God in Isaiah, the 40th chapter? No one can compare to the great God of the universe. 
In Psalm 147, Psalm 147, probably one of the more inspiring stories that I remember, and I'll just share it with you here. I've got to hurry, but you probably have had similar things uh, in different parts of the country. I, you know, you hear them all over, and uh, God is working. He is real, and his presence is real, and his power is real. But when I was a trainee, I went out in the field for a short period of time with Bob League. Then later on, he was transferred out. I got married, and later on, I was able to go back out with him again in, in uh, North Carolina. So it was really a blessing that way. God was working with me. But I remember that first time I was with him, that beginning time, we were in Southern California. We went to visit this widow, and her. by this time, the, her sons were teenagers. They were all gathered around. This was at night. We were making an evening visit there, and we began talking and asking, well, getting to know and this lady in the Santa Ana congregation there. And uh, she told us this story. She said, early on, when the children were small, she didn't have anything. There were no food in the cupboards. Everything was gone. And uh, what were they to do? But she knew God's promises. He would take care of the widow. He would take care of the fatherless. And they didn't have a, a father figure in the house. So she prayed. And then she went about and began setting the table. She set the table. Her children were small. And they began looking and seeing what she was doing. They were all hungry. Anyway... Uh, they set down the, you know, the knives and forks, and at, as she put down an empty pot, several pots, like a pot for the meat and an empty pot for the potatoes, glasses for the beverage. And one of the, the older sons says, well, Mom, what are you doing? We have no food. There's nothing in the cupboards. And she said, don't worry. God will provide. And when they sat down, she began to pray and ask the blessing on the food that had, was not there and asking God to provide. And as she was finishing up the prayer, she heard a knock at the door. And she went to the door, and there a station wagon had backed up. Someone had already gotten out, lifted the latch or the hood or the back end of it, and were hauling out the food to bring to her. Somehow, some way... God put it into the mind of this individual to bring the food. They'd get in the, they were getting the food for something else, but they thought, well, this other person needs it more than any. And it, God put that in their mind, and they brought the food to that widow. And there they were able to unpack it, and there she put the roast in the pan for the roast. She put the mashed potatoes in the pan for the mashed potatoes and the drinks around the table and bowl for the vegetables. And the children had a meal. It was amazing. And I remember Mr. League saying, don't forget that. Don't forget those miracles. Remind your children about those things. And, of course, the, the children began to remember back and to think about that and how inspiring it was as they thought back. That is amazing. That is really amazing. Psalm 89. Psalm 89. 
Psalm 89 and beginning in verse 5. The heavens will praise your wonders, O Lord. Verse 5. Psalm 89, verse 5. Your faithfulness also in the assembly of the saints. For who in the heavens can be compared to the Lord? Who among the sons of the mighty can be likened to the Lord? God is greatly to be feared in the assembly of the saints and to be held in reverence by all those around him. O Lord, our God, O Lord God of hosts, who is mighty like you, O Lord? Your faithfulness also surrounds you. You rule the raging sea with its wave. When the waves rise, you still them, and you have broken Rahab in pieces. And as one who is slain, you've scattered your enemies with your mighty arm. The heavens are yours. The earth is also yours. The world in all its fullness, you have founded them. And on it goes, talking about God's greatness. So what is the fear of God? It is to stand in awe and respect before our great God, who has given us all good gifts, even his son, Jesus the Christ, who he willingly gave and Christ willingly sacrificed himself so that we could be in his family and to savor that, to really think about it. We recognize God's great love and not only loving us, but all of mankind, all, even those that we knew in the church that we first were in there and Baton Rouge and had to leave. God loves them, and ultimately they will be in God's family, we hope and pray. So we know that God is real. We recognize God has the power of life and death also, that if we reject God, there's going to be an ultimate you know, punishment. But that's not in our heart and desire. You know, we, we fear God. We love God. We don't want to disappoint him. We want to go all the way, and we're headed all the way with all of our heart and mind toward God's kingdom. The incorrigible, those who are implacable, who don't want to be ruled, who, who hate to be told what to do, they're going to be destroyed forever because they'd be miserable in God's family. So God and his love will put them out of their misery. But brethren, you and I and all of us together, we're growing in the fear of God and we recognize God's profound love, his desire to save all humanity and ultimately, you know, have them in his family. Think about how God worked with Noah, how God encouraged Noah and called Noah. And we read in Hebrews 11 chapter where it talks about Noah And we read something also about fear, about reverencing God's name, what it means. Not only to stand in awe and reverence, but we read here in Hebrews 11, chapter, Hebrews 11, where it says Noah did something. And he did something that is not written, but we'll talk about that here just briefly. Here, uh, Hebrews 11, chapter, and verse 6. But without faith, it's impossible to please him, for he who comes to God must believe that he is and that he is a rewarder of those who diligently seek him. By faith, Noah, being divinely warned of things not yet seen, moved with godly fear, 
prepared an ark for the saving of his household by which he condemned the world and became heir of the righteousness which is according to faith. Noah feared God, but that fear caused him to do something. He got off dead center, you know, and he was moved and started building the ark. Just like you moved in love and fear toward God, reverence toward God, wanting to observe and keep his commandments, and you're here at God's feast. And you're moving with love and fear of God and reverence of God and praying for the work of God, praying for each other, praying for those who are not here and those who are streaming, you see. God is using you as well. This one man in uh, Midland, uh, Texas, he was um, had Parkinson's. And I mean, Parkinson's is an awful, awful disease. And he was down to the point where, you know, he couldn't control his extremities. He was just bedridden. He had a bar where he could pull himself up a little bit. But he couldn't talk. He go, rah, 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 rah. You know, he, it was garbled. And so I was there. We, Mr. Stein and I, we decided to stop by and spend some time there. He was a big man. When you stood up, this gentleman in the church that had Parkinson, you know, he was a tall man, but he was no longer able to stand. For years, he had served. He had helped out in Midland. They would have the Passover in his house. He would have Sabbath services in the house. He really opened up his home time and time again. Mr. O'Gwen stayed there. Other Many other ministers stayed there. And that night... Mr. Stein, of course, spent the night there. And the next morning I got up and ready to go. We were going to go on a baptizing round-robin trip in uh, West Texas. And before we left, we thought we would talk more and speak more with this man in the the bed. And I said, Mr. So-and-so, what's your routine? You're here in bed. What, What do you do? How do you manage to make it through the day? And he told me, he said, You know, in this broken kind of talk, he said that he no longer can have people over. He can no longer serve that way. He can no longer have church in his house. But he was told in a sermon that the most important thing you can do is pray for the work. So he began praying for the the church, for the brethren. And he says, how's Mrs. So-and-so? How's so-and-so over here? How's so-and-so over there? You know, and he was naming names of all the brethren in the the church in Big Sandy. How did he find out about those brethren? He says, there's one thing I can do, and I can pray, the most important thing. So I'm busy doing the work of God all day long. And I thought, oh, wow, what an example. What a beautiful example. You can imagine how Noah, what a, what a motivator he must have been for a hundred years building the ark. And, you know, the boys would be growing up, his children would be growing up, and they'd say, Dad, come on, this has been 50 years, and what are we doing? I mean, there's no water. You know? I mean, they could have, you can just imagine some of the doubt going along there after a period of time. The wife, she must have been amazing, being, being supportive and helping out, and all of them, Worked together as a team. They didn't quit. Noah, I should say, Noah motivated them all and kept them on the straight and narrow. God, of course, inspiring them. But you can imagine 
Noah talking about the greatness of God, probably taking them out and showing them the stars and thinking about God's promises that had been made to Abraham and the great reverence and respect that he had toward God and what God was doing. And then all the animals started coming. That was really a big day. And, uh, you know, they understood about the clean and unclean. They understood many things. So there was a lot of truth that had been revealed to Noah. So was God real? Did he respect God? Did he reverence God? Of course. And so did the family following that example. How do you and I fear God? We move with fear and love and are motivated to change. We must seek first God's kingdom and his righteousness. So prayer is of the essence. We should never let a day go by and not pray. The fear of God is to hate evil and pride and arrogancy. So we disdain and avoid and eschew evil. That's another sign that you fear God. You turn the TV off if something objectionable comes on. Uh, Probably you're turning it off more often than you were years ago. Perhaps you're doing it as well on the Internet also. It's getting to the place you can't even, you know, used to be able to watch the news. But even that is revolting and objectionable and upsetting, depressing. A wise man, Proverbs 14, verse 16, a wise man fears and departs from evil. So think about God's greatness. Think about what God has done and is doing in your life. Here in this article by Mr. O'Gwen on God's greatness, he writes a series of things regarding God's characteristics. The Bible reveals much about God. God explained that God is eternal and immortal and invisible. And he lists some scriptures. So check out that article on God's greatness by Mr. O'Gwen. Another one is that um, he knows every thoughts of man. We read in uh, Matthew, the sixth chapter, that God knows what you have need of even before you ask, you know, before he got to the outline prayer. So when you pray, pray in secret. God knows even what you're going to pray about even before you ask. So the question is, well, why pray? God knows. Well, God wants a relationship. God wants us to ask him. We know what our children need, but we want them to ask us so that we can help them and let them know where these, uh, you know, where their sustenance is coming from, you know, and that we love them, that we're working hard to help our children. We read about how, how God dwells. He dwells in splendor and glory, surrounded by a court of heavenly creatures and millions of angels, Revelation 4, 1 through 6. <clears throat> we know that God is not a hanging judge or wanting to take, you know, just torture people or delight in sending people to an ever-burning hell. God is not that way at all. Rather, God is love, and it's one of his fundamental characteristics, his nature, First John 4, verse 8. And we know he dist- demonstrated that love by giving his Son, Jesus Christ, for not only for us, but for all of mankind. God is actively involved with his creation. 
and has declared the future in advance, declaring the end from the beginning, so that we know what's going to happen. And it is happening right before our eyes. So we see time and time again what God is doing, and we see his attributes. We see how powerful and awesome he is, how great our great God is. Well, let's turn to Matthew, the sixth chapter again, because this, when we talk about God's greatness and we talk about what God is doing, now we see and begin to understand more about what Jesus Christ meant. This prayer, in essence, is a prayer about the kingdom. In this manner, therefore, pray. Our Father who art in heaven... Not just God or God Almighty, but now more intimate, our Father who is in heaven. Hallowed be your name. God's name is holy. When I was little, my dad said, be careful how you handle the Bible. I took the Bible and I was five or six and I just kind of threw it, tossed it on a chair or whatever I did. And my dad said, don't do that. It's not that the book or the pages or the leather or whatever is holy of them by itself, but it's the res- what's in the Bible, what, what, it, what it represents. My dad was showing me we need to respect. Even then, even we, we were not in the church then, but he, we, he meant, he wanted us, he desired that we respect the Bible, respect the Word of God. You see, God had been working in his life. He grew up in a dysfunctional family. He wouldn't wish it on a dog. He had tears in his eyes when he talked about his childhood. But somehow, somehow, God preserved my dad to where he would marry and have a family of five boys. And life would be awfully good, a lot better than it was for him. In the Second World War, prior to getting married, he was on this bridge. And as a sailor, many sailors were robbed and knifed and thrown over the side of this bridge in Recife, Brazil, during the war. And he happened to be out there, shouldn't have been, he shouldn't have been out there. He realized he had made a mistake, and it was pitch black dark and with lights scattered about, but not very light. And here were these hoodlums coming toward him, a gang of men, and they had their switchblades out, and they were going to do him in as well. He could see the handwriting on the wall. And all of a sudden, out of nowhere, this limousine pulled up, flung open the door, and a voice inside said, get in. Needless to say, he did not need encouragement. He jumped in, and it was somebody that was well-known in the area. Actually, there was a woman in the back seat of the car, and she took him back home to the base and saved his life. It was amazing. But had that not happened, I wouldn't be here. And a lot of things wouldn't have happened. So God was working in my dad's life and preserving him. And many things along that line would occur that would just pave the way for what would happen later for others to be called. And it makes you wonder, you know, what miracles have happened in your life and how God called you. How did you come to find out about God's way? As I mentioned earlier, a man and his wife were in a car and they... It's a long story, but anyway, they, he couldn't steer. She could, and he could work 
she could work the pedals and he could steer a little bit, but they left the road out one day having a joy ride and they hit this fence and ran into a cow pasture and it spun the dial on the, on the transistor radio and the car and it said, greetings friends around the world. This is Herbert W. Armstrong. <laughs> and I've heard a similar story of that happening in other cases as well. Somehow that dial always winds up on the program. One lady in uh, 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 Jackson, Mississippi, called me up and uh, told me that um, she'd like to find out or, you know, come to church. And so we talked about it. And I said, well, how did you find out? She said, well, I was disturbed. I was searching for answers, and I couldn't find any. And so I thought one night at 2 o'clock in the morning, she got on the Internet, and she typed in Church of God. I've got to find a church. I don't know which one it will be, but I've got to find a church. I need help. And she typed that in. Boom. Living Church of God was the first thing that came up. Now, that doesn't happen all, all the time. But it did for her. She checked into it, and she's now a baptized member in God's church. So, our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be your name. How holy, how righteous, how precious, how, how uh, uh, valuable, how powerful is God's name. And how we should stand in awe. And whatever we do, we need to do in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, as the Apostle Paul admonishes us, do all in his name to his glory, to honor him. So when we fellowship, we do that to honor God, to honor his name. And hallowed be his name. And now maybe we can understand more clearly what that means when we think about fearing God, seeking him first, knowing who's working directly in each and every one of our lives, individually and collectively. Notice, your kingdom come comes next. And naturally, I look on the stage up here. I think this is incredible decorations. These are just really something. It is awesome. You're going to receive a crown, a crown of glory. Your kingdom come. There's a crown laid up for you and me. And it's going to be special. Your will be done. Oh, not my will, not not humans' kind's will, but God's will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and not only physical bread, but spiritual bread, meat in due season. We receive meat in due season here at services, and then we can go out and enjoy a nice meal afterwards. And forgive us our debts as we forgive those as we forgive our debtors. And that's another story Again, we'll be able to talk about. And then do not lead us into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. We have to pray and ask God to protect us from Satan the devil. He's more powerful than we are. And we can get led astray by, by our own desires and mis- mistakes and things we are not thinking straight. We pray that God would protect Mr. Weston and the headquarters team effort, that God would bless them and bless our local congregations and all the, the brethren. We had one man in, in Texas um, wasn't breathing or using his oxygen like he should have, and on the way home he hit a ramp like on the movies. You know, they hit this ramp and it flips the car. 
you know, all the way around and then it lands. Well, I believe in his case, it flipped the car backwards and around this way, but it landed on all four wheels and it broke his neck. Serious. Just happened to be a lady there that came quickly, ran over, and she, his window was on, rolled down and, and she held him back. She said, don't move and calmed him down. And he recovered and could walk again and finish his course in God's church. So lead us not into temptation. Deliver us from the evil one. For yours is the kingdom and the power and the glory. So notice this. Our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come. Your will be done. And then it ends with the kingdom. For yours is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. So I want to end this sermon that way. For yours, indeed, when we understand the fear of God, we understand the meaning of this prayer and how important it is we pray also and add to it in terms of the details. But I really enjoy this ending here as well as the beginning. For God's, for yours, is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever and ever and ever and ever. And we could go on saying forever, can't we? That's a long time.